You're listening to the Informal Bible Study, a casual and applicational look at the Scriptures. I'm John Stonge, and it's great to have you with us today. In just a few moments, we're going to be looking at the idea of creating a culture of spiritual growth, and we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 13, looking at the entire chapter. But before we do, a couple quick things I wanted to share with you. In fact, one of them's rather big, at least in my opinion. Uh, during the course of this past week, I've been transitioning all content that I've been producing from uh, this podcast, from my other podcast, the Chapter a Day Audio Bible, and from other sources as well, to a brand new website. And the website is desirejesus.com. And it's just been completely designed from scratch, has a lot of content. One of the things that I'm most excited about that is these messages here that I'm sharing as part of the informal Bible study are being posted there in blog form. So if you ever wanted to share it with somebody, or if you ever just wanted to read the content, or look at you know what, what we would consider like show notes for each of these podcast episodes, they're all going to be posted at DesireJesus.com. The past several weeks of content is already posted up there, and we're about to put a whole bunch of other information there. We also have uh, a link there for you to download a free copy of my latest 30 Day devotional, Desire Jesus, Volume 4. So it's all there on the website. Hope you get the chance to check it out sometime during the course of this week. We even have underneath each blog post, there's an area for us to interact a little bit where you can leave comments or suggestions or insights or whatever you want to leave there. And I'll be happy to read your feedback and also just interact with you a little bit about this content. So definitely check it out when you get a chance. DesireJesus.com. I'm very excited with how it's all coming together, and I'm looking forward to sharing it with you. So check it out when you get a free moment. Now, as I mentioned just a a few moments ago, today we're talking about the idea of creating a culture of spiritual growth. And the idea of creating a culture is something that I think about often. I think about it in the context of the local church that I serve. Uh, I'm pastor of Core Creek Community Church in Langhorne, Pennsylvania. And I remember years ago when I was a new pastor, I heard a lot of people talking about things like vision statements and mission statements. It was kind of a trend to talk about that and to make sure that you had yours clarified. And I think that there's certainly value in that. But there's actually something that I've come to believe has a, a, an even greater impact on a local church than a mission statement or a vision statement. And that's the culture that's created within that local church. And so we're going to be talking about what it looks like to create a culture of spiritual growth uh, within your own life. This certainly would apply with uh, the local church. It also applies within the home. One of the things that when I'm uh, sitting down and talking about marriage with couples that are coming to me for premarital counseling, one of the things that I talk to them about during one of our sessions is the idea of what kind of culture they plan to create in their home, what kind of environment their children are going to grow up in, what is it going to be like to be a spouse, to be either the husband or the wife living in that home, what kind of tone are they going to set, is Christ going to be Lord over that household? 
And so these are things that we talk about in counseling sessions, but it's something that the Apostle Paul illustrates in the portion of Scripture that we're looking at today. By the way, this is the last chapter in the book of 2 Corinthians. We've been looking in this book for quite some time now, and this is the final chapter. So we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, and we'll be reading from verse 1 down to the end of the chapter, which is verse 14. And this is what we see in the passage. It says, This is the third time I am coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warn those who sinned before and all the others, and I warn them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them, since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me. He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test. But we pray to God that you may not do wrong, not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason, I write these things while I am away from you, that when I come, I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the privilege of being able to look at this portion of Scripture today. And we thank you, Lord, for the things that are revealed to us here about what it looks like when a culture of spiritual growth is created and cultivated within the lives of individual believers and also within the context of the local church. And Lord, we pray that we would adopt the principles that we see in this passage so that we would grow in our relationship with your Son, Jesus Christ, that our faith would be strengthened and that our walk would be deepened and that you would be honored in all things. We love you, Lord, and we commit this time to you, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as I've mentioned in previous weeks, The book of 2 Corinthians has been described by some as the most emotional letter the Apostle Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write. This church, they brought Paul great joy, but they they also had the habit of breaking his heart. In his first letter to the Corinthians, he addressed multiple issues that had cropped up in the church that were threatening their sense of unity and were contributing toward their failure to model the gospel in their city. And throughout the course of this letter, Paul went to great lengths to continue to invest in their maturity and growth by showing them the nature of what it means to be a fully devoted servant of Christ. 
And he also makes a point to defend his authority as an apostle, and he confronts the false teaching of those who were spreading falsehood in the city. When you look through the book of 2 Corinthians, you also see that this book shows us what it's like to live as people who are convinced that Jesus is enough for us. It reminds us that life is not easy, but it's purposeful. And you have Paul uh, displaying deep doctrinal truth, presenting it to us time and time again in these pages to help us grow in our faith. We're also shown throughout this book that Christ's strength is sufficient for us in the midst of our human weaknesses. Now, in the chapter that we're looking at today, this chapter that Paul uses to conclude this book, he shows us what it looks like when we cultivate a culture of spiritual growth. And one of the things that we need to do in that kind of context to truly create an atmosphere or a culture of spiritual growth is we need to encourage accountability. Look at what he said in the first few verses. He said, this is the third time I am coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And then he says, I warn those who sinned before and all the others, and I warn them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. Let's pause there for just a moment. You see Paul encouraging accountability among this church. Now, one of the greatest blessings that the Lord grants us as his children are brothers and sisters in Christ who genuinely care about our well-being. I am so grateful for the people that the Lord has placed in my life that genuinely demonstrate that they care. Uh, not, Not long ago, really just a few days ago, a friend called me out of the blue just to express his love for me as a friend and to make sure that I was doing well. And I truly appreciated that. I thought that was extremely thoughtful. And even one step beyond that are the friends that the Lord places in our lives who, who, who love us enough to be willing to tell us difficult things or to point out areas of our lives where we may need to be practicing repentance. It's good to have people in our lives that we're accountable to. Well, the Apostle Paul loved the Corinthian church enough to be honest with them. He could have papered over some of the things that were taking place in their midst, but he chose not to do so. He had hard conversations with them. He pointed out difficult and awkward things that I'm sure many of these believers did not initially appreciate having a light shined on. But it's interesting to look at the words Paul shared here when you consider that this is the closing section of his letter to the church. He told them he would be visiting them soon. And in most cases, when people communicate that they're going to be visiting, they usually do so in a lighter manner. But in this case, Paul did so with a stern warning. And specifically, he was warning those who chose to live in outright rebellion to Christ and were causing dissension within the church that they were about to be called out, they were about to be confronted, and they would not be spared from the consequences of their actions. Paul was about to hold them accountable. What do you think about personal accountability? Wouldn't you agree that it can be one of the most challenging things for us to develop an appreciation for. It takes time and it takes maturity to see the value in personal accountability within our Christian family. But consider this contrast for just a second. What is the fruit of the lack of accountability? And how does that contrast with the fruit of authentic accountability? The lack of accountability is a breeding ground for sin. 
temptations aren't exposed, corners are cut, denial becomes rampant, deceit becomes common, selfish interests prevail, people are genuinely hurt, and the cause of Christ isn't emphasized. Now the contrast is this. In the context of healthy accountability, sin isn't hidden, it's exposed. It's robbed of its power to destroy us because it's exposed to the light. Truth abounds. Love is genuine. A mindset that looks out for the needs of others prevails. People experience healing and forgiveness, and the heart of Christ is displayed. Paul was displaying the value of accountability to this young church. And that example reverberates in our context as well. That's something we're also encouraged to put into practice. That's something that we're encouraged to utilize as we try and cultivate or create a culture of spiritual growth. Another practice that's emphasized in this portion of Scripture by the example that the Apostle Paul is setting for the Corinthians and the things that he's teaching them is this. We're encouraged to practice self-examination. Look again at verse 5 and some of the verses following that. Paul says this, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test. But we pray to God that you may not do wrong, not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. Let's pause there for a second. Do you enjoy taking tests? Tests, truthfully speaking, are useful things, but when we think about the possibility of being tested, that can be something that produces some level of anxiety in us. Uh, Back when I was in high school and had a test approaching, I developed a habit during my later years of high school that I utilized whenever I wanted to get a good grade on a test. And what I would do is I would disappear the night before the test. I would just disappear from, from basically all human contact. And I had a, a large closet in my bedroom that went underneath a flight of steps. So it was skinny and long. It had a lot of room. It went back really far. And so what I would do is I would close myself into that bedroom closet so I'd be away from all sorts of distractions. And then what I'd do is I'd take my notes. I had a small light on in there. And, and I would take my notes and I'd read through my notes as many times as it took for me to retain the information. And I would test myself along the way. After I did a page, I would go back and review that page and ask myself questions related to the content to see if I remembered it. And I'd make sure, obviously, not to look at the page while I was, you know, thinking through those questions. And if the, if the material stayed up there, then I knew I was safe to move on to the next section of notes. And after a while of doing that, so I'd usually spend an hour or two, something like that, doing that, then I would emerge from that small space once I was confident that I had the material mastered and I didn't need to worry about it anymore. Tests in life can be very difficult, but they are ultimately very good. As a personal discipline in our walk with Christ, we're encouraged here to test or examine ourselves. We're invited to seek the Lord's insight and to ask Him to shine a light into our lives. 
Paul even asked the Corinthians to examine themselves to confirm that they were actually believers. He wanted them to evaluate the fruit that was coming from their lives to make certain that they were actually treating each other with and living their lives in a Christ-like manner. There's a principle that's spoken of in Scripture that I have seen to be true during the course of my life, and that's this. Behavior follows belief. Given enough time, our core beliefs become evident by the fruit of our lives. I like what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, starting with verse 15. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. That's what Jesus said about the fruit of our lives, and the fruit of our lives comes out of what we believe. So you can tell what I believe will satisfy my soul by what I spend my life pursuing. If I'm pursuing a deeper walk with Christ, that's evidence that I have become convinced that He can bring satisfaction to my soul. If a person's life is spent in the pursuit of wealth, power, inappropriate relationships, happiness, or even revenge, then you'll be able to correctly assess what they believe about these things, because behavior follows belief. So let's do something together. Let's take a moment for some self-examination. Let's test ourselves like Paul was encouraging the Corinthians to do. And you're welcome to jot your answers down, or you're welcome to just kind of answer these things in your head. But here are a few questions that might help us out a little bit. So let me pose these to you, and I hope you'll take a moment to just answer them honestly. And the first question is this. What do you daydream about most? What do you speak about with excitement and enthusiasm? What primary life values are you insisting your children adopt? What are you convinced you need more of in order to be happy or content? Where do you share your time and your talents and your treasures? And the last question is this. Where do you find comfort when you're hurting or motivation when you're slumping? Is Jesus your answer to any of these questions? If so, that's great. If not, what will it take for him to become the one our lives are truly centered around? Paul was encouraging the church to practice self-examination. And that's a principle that we would do well to apply to our lives as well. One other thing that Paul brings out in this passage that we're looking at today regarding this idea of creating a culture of spiritual growth is this. He encouraged the church to aim for restoration. Look at what he says in verse 11 down to the end of the chapter. He says, Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Aim for restoration. That's how Paul ends this section of Scripture. A few years ago, 
An, an angry man rushed through a museum in Amsterdam until he reached Rembrandt's famous painting, Night Watch. When he got to that painting, he took out a knife and he slashed it repeatedly before he could be stopped. A short time later, a distraught and hostile man slipped into St. Peter's Cathedral in Rome with a hammer, and he began to smash a sculpture that was, that was designed, that was made by Michelangelo. Two cherished works of art were severely damaged. But what did officials do with these things? Did they just throw them out and forget about them? No. Using the best experts who worked with the utmost care and precision, they made every effort to restore the treasures. They worked toward restoration. As Paul concludes this highly personal letter, he does so with a a view toward restoring the damaged relationships within the Corinthian church. He encourages this group of believers to intentionally practice that which would benefit one another to restore the hurting, to comfort the grieving, to find areas of agreement to emphasize, and to live in love and peace as God fostered both within the lives of his children. Do you consider yourself someone that's easy to get along with? I was reading something recently, and, and it was all about the, uh, the, the most important words for getting along with people. And I don't know who wrote this. It's, uh, it wasn't sourced, so it just said source unknown. Uh, but according to an unknown writer, this is what uh, the most important words for getting along with people happen to be. The writer said, the six most important words are, I admit I made a mistake. The five most important words are, you did a good job. The four most important words are, What do you think? The three most important words are, after you, please. The two most important words, thank you. The one most important word, we. And the least important word, I. I like that, and I think that there's a lot of good principles there. And the truth is, in Christ, we find the deepest form of, of restoration. Our life has been restored. Our future has been restored. Our security has been restored. Our relationship with our Creator has been restored after it appeared to have been damaged beyond all repair. And as Christ restored us, He invites us to foster a culture of restoration within His church. We encourage accountability because it fosters holiness. We examine ourselves to confirm that Christ is our main priority in life. And by His grace, we grow mature in our faith as we each lovingly invest in the well-being of those Christ is teaching us to love. We aim for restoration. And these are principles that the Apostle Paul was emphasizing in this closing chapter of this book as the Holy Spirit gave him these words to pen down and to communicate to us. And it was true in the context that Paul was initially speaking it in, and it's true in our context as well. But again, we can't do this in our own wisdom. We can't do this in our own strength. We need the strength that's supplied to us as a gift from God. And Paul was acknowledging that as well as he finishes up this portion of Scripture with a beautiful phrase that I want to finish with today also. And he says in verse 14, as he closes this out, he says, 
the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for the privilege of being able to look at this portion of Scripture today. Thank you, Lord, for bringing it to our attention. Thank you for making sure that we have access to it. Thank you for giving us some time to do some self-examination as we've been looking through it. And Lord, we know that it's your desire that within our local churches, within our homes, and within our own individual lives, that we would create a culture of spiritual growth that we would invite you to be Lord of our lives, that we would welcome accountability, that we would encourage one another, that we would examine ourselves as you make your word clear to us, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, we're shown things that only you can show us. And Lord, we pray that by your grace, that as we interact with our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we wouldn't aim for division or dissension, but that we would aim for restoration. Lord, permeate those thoughts into our hearts and into our minds today. And we pray, Lord, that when these things get tested, that we would remember this portion of Scripture and that we would put into practice what you've communicated to us here. We love you, Lord. We thank you for the new life that we have through faith in you. And we commit this day and this week to your care, and we are just grateful, Lord, that we have the privilege to walk in the strength that you supply. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Informal Bible Study. As I mentioned at the start of this episode, I'm looking forward to sharing the content that we've been putting up at our new website, DesireJesus.com, with you. I'm looking forward to sharing it all, and I hope that you have the opportunity sometime during the course of this week to check it out. A transcript of the teaching that I just shared is going to be posted on the website, and maybe by the time you're hearing this message, it may already be there. And I'd love to be able to interact with you a little bit related to this content in the comment section right underneath that transcript. So definitely take a look at it, and uh, while you're there, be sure to also download a free copy of the latest 30-day devotional, Desire Jesus, Volume 4. It's always my joy to share that information with you. So that's That's it for us today. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next time. Often we believe our questions mean we don't have faith, but I believe Jesus loves our questions. Our questions are windows into heaven. I'm Caden Fabrizio, and on the Questions with Caden podcast, we ask and answer one question per episode as relevantly and biblically as possible. Questions about fear, anxiety, depression, addiction, and so much more. Don't worry, your questions, they're not going to scare Jesus, so ask away. Listen and subscribe now at lifeaudio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.